I'm clapping because I'm not in that one, right? <laughs> Did you see that mustache? That's nasty, right? That was bad. Well, thanks so much for being here with us. Uh, my name's Ryan. If we haven't met yet, love to meet you. And uh, thanks if you're here in the room with us or maybe you're watching online. Uh, thanks for taking the time to jump into this series with us. We've been in this just a handful of weeks now. Uh, we call it our mixtape, Seven Songs We Fell in Love To. And what we're really doing is looking back through the decades at different songs that literally we probably fell in love to. Like I remember, I swear, eighth grade was awesome. I remember the dance and a dance to that. I probably looked a lot like Todd minus the mustache, right? Really bad. But we, we remember these songs and they bring back memories to our minds. And what we said is, uh, music is going to change over the decades. What we listen to it on is going to change. Like some of us don't even recognize that that's a cassette tape. But love is always in. And love songs will always be in because love is always relevant. Right? It's always something that's going to be on our minds. Whether we're looking for love, we're looking to find someone, or we've been married for a long, long time, and maybe we're seeing, want to see kind of love refire in our relationship, love is always in. And so we're going to have a, a big conversation and a big set of conversations about love and kind of the whole gamut of relationships. And we jumped into the conversation a few weeks ago. We looked at the first track, which was treasure. And uh, we said, we're going to be attracted to each other, right? As men and women, we are born, we're made to kind of be connected to each other and drawn to one another physically. We said, that's okay. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's kind of built in by God. But we said, if we're going to really make a relationship work and have any hope at lifelong love, we have to be attracted deeper than just skin or appearance. So I want to look to the actual person and look for their character. We said, ladies, as you look for a man, you want to look for a man with a name. And men, as you're looking at a lady, you want to find a lady with a heart. Right? So if you missed that conversation, make sure to catch up. Last weekend, we talked about my love. That was the second track. And we said, if I'm in a dating relationship or an engagement, or if I'm moving into kind of the deeper parts of being related and connected together, I want to look for real love, actual love, the way that God would define it. And so we described that. We said that men and women are going to receive that a little bit differently, or at least we tend to. So if you missed either of those conversations, highly encourage you to catch up online. And uh, you can do that at graceohio.org or catch up on our YouTube channel, and you can watch or listen uh, to all those messages, of course, for free. What we want to do today, and I swear, is we want to kind of advance the conversation a little bit further, and we want to ask the question, how do I know when I'm ready to move forward? Right? We've gotten to know each other, we're attracted to each other, we're looking for love. Now, how do we know we're ready to kind of pull the trigger and go to the next level in our relationship and pursue either engagement or go from engagement to marriage? How do we know we're ready to kind of make that leap and, and move our relationship in that direction? Big, huge question, and we're going to dive into that, of course. And if you were here last week, uh, you would have heard me say that, you know, I didn't grow up as a follower of Jesus, and before I found a relationship with Christ, I would have said I don't even believe in marriage. Like, I, I haven't often seen it work well. I haven't seen people kind of make it through the test of time. And when I became a Christ follower, I said, now I start to see a vision for marriage and how it can work. And I want you to know it's important for me that you know going into this conversation and that I love marriage. 
Like, I love being married, I love my wife, and I believe that marriage can be awesome. And if you are dating, you're engaged, I want to help you find that vision for marriage. And that's why we're going to have the conversation that we're going to have today. Because we know, we can feel it in our culture, that questions are being asked about marriage in the same way that I was questioning it. We're kind of questioning it at large. We're asking, does it still work? Is it still relevant? Is it possible? And we know that people are delaying getting married longer and longer and for a variety of reasons. So I want to make kind of the case for you and say, listen, we believe, I believe in marriage and God, the designer, the director, the creator of marriage actually has a great prescription for how marriage can work, but we have to go about it his way. And kind of the best way to to really ensure that we're going to have a great marriage is to start well to go into marriage with the right kind of foundation and have a solid footing so that we know we're getting off to kind of the right start, right? So that's the heart of this conversation is to set us up to win, right? And to win in love, in life, and in marriage. So we're gonna dive into this and we're gonna ask some pretty big questions in our time together. And so we're gonna go ahead and just dive right into it. As we do that, I wanna encourage you again if you're on the way to marriage, maybe just jumping into us, make sure you catch those messages from the last few weeks, almost as a prerequisite for this conversation. But here's kind of the first new piece of content we want to jump into today. Here's the first one. I want to ask the question, as I look down the road of marriage, do I get a green light on this one? Are we on the same page with our faith? Are we equally yoked? That equally yoked phrase is like an old school kind of Bible phrase. I want to introduce you today if you're not familiar with it, but that's the first one and it's a big one. I want to look at my relationship and say, hey, are are we on the same page here with what we believe about life and about how it's lived and about who God is? Do we have the same faith background? And the idea of being equally yoked, here's where it comes from, 2 Corinthians 6.14 Paul writes this, he says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Let me go back to this here for a minute. This idea of being yoked, right? You want to think back in the ancient world, here's what would happen. Animals would kind of take on a yoke and farmers would put these yokes onto oxen and they would pull plows or pull heavy objects with them, right? And when you would have multiple different kind of oxen next to them, they would be equally yoked. They would pull weight in the same direction is the idea, right? And and so Paul's going to use that analogy and help kind of transfer it over to our spiritual lives. And he's going to say, all of us have some kind of yoke that we're under, some direction that's pulling us forward in life. Whether we realize it or not, we all have one, right? There's some kind of filter or or governor to how we make decisions, how we view life, and how ultimately we're going to kind of navigate the day in and day out of living, right? So my yoke might be something as simple as happiness. I want to be happy. And if this makes me happy, I'm going to do it. And if it doesn't make me happy, I'm not going to do it. It might be something as my opinions and my logic. Uh, Before I was a follower of Jesus, I I met Jesus in college when a buddy told me about Christ, kind of in in our friendship, right? And I said yes to Jesus. But before that, I would have said my yoke, if I thought of it in that language, I would have said was really my logic. Does it make sense to me? Does my opinion and my intellect make this make sense? If it makes sense to me, great. If it doesn't make sense to me, I'm out. 
We might have a yoke of politics and say, I, I believe that the, the country and the world and my life needs to run that way and have an agenda that I lock into and agree with. And there's a million more that we could look at, right? And say, all of these could be different yokes that I'm under. These are the direction of my life. I'm going to kind of choose to submit to something. And there has to be one for all of us, whether we recognize it or not. There's an authority that we've chosen to kind of follow, whether it's our emotions, our intellect, a, a set of beliefs, or something else out kind of in the world that we could grab onto. Now, the follower of Jesus would look at any other yoke that we could take on, and they would say, none of these will be the yoke that defines my life. Not my happiness, right? Not my, even my logic. I'm going to look at the person of Jesus, and whether I understand it or not, I'm going to follow him. What he says is going to go. And so when my happiness conflicts with what Jesus says, I'm going to choose with what Jesus says. Right? When my logic conflicts with what Jesus says, I'm going with what Jesus says. I'm under his yoke and I'm following his teaching. That's what it means to kind of be yoked that way with Christ. And Jesus would even say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Listen, if you do it my way, my way leads to life. It might not always make sense to you, but I'm going to lead you in the way that is good. And for the follower of Jesus, looking to make a decision to marry, we want to filter through and ask the question, is the person I'm looking to marry yoked in the same way that I am? And I know some of us are here in this conversation, and you're investigating your faith. You may not be a Christ follower yet. Trust me, I understand personally how it feels to kind of hear the conversation from that lens. But Listen, it makes sense to you too, because at the end of the day, what you're looking for, if you're not yet a Christ follower, or what you're looking for if you are, is you're looking to have a united relationship where you're headed in the same direction. Two people that are very committed to two different directions, deciding to live their lives together, is a recipe for a train wreck. Right? Whether I have a faith or not, I can look at that and recognize, yeah, that makes sense. If you're always going to be driven by the Jesus stuff and you're always in on that, and I'm really not, how would our relationship ever work? I usually describe it like this. It's like we're uh, in a car looking to make a big road trip, and one of us wants to go to Florida, and one of us wants to go to California, and we are only going to go to one place. That sounds like a nightmare, and that's what a marriage looks like when we're unequally yoked. Right? There's always tension when we're trying to teach the kids how to live. We're trying to make decisions. We're trying to choose what to do with our time or our money. There's a set of, of values and priorities and a way that we would make decisions. It's always going to be in tension with one another. So God loves us and he wants what's best for us. So he's saying, hey, if you're going to get married, you're going to join yourself to someone else. Make sure you're on the same page with the most important thing, who you think God is. Just makes sense. Now, some of us are married, and we got married, and maybe we weren't Christ followers when we got married. And one of you became a Christ follower, and the other one didn't. Right? Now what do we do? There's a question to that. If you became a Christ follower, or you happened to get married to somebody, you, maybe you knew it wasn't the right thing to do, but you did it anyway, you married somebody who wasn't a Christ follower, and now you are married, you're in a situation where you're unequally yoked. Hear me, that doesn't mean that you can leave that marriage. Okay, just because you're unequally yoked and you've crossed the threshold, something changes when we cross the threshold of marriage and the conversation changes to now become we're all in, how do we make this work? 
right? How do we fight for marriage, right? So if you're married to somebody who's not yet a Christ follower, you're into it, right? And you want to help make that work at whatever cost is possible. The Bible, of course, gives some, some more teaching about that that we can't get into today, but I want us to make sure we're, we're clear that if you are in a marriage where you're connected to somebody who's not yet a Christ follower, your job is to love them and stay committed to them. The Bible would say if they want to leave, that's up to them, but you can't initiate that, right? So this is a huge question. Are we equally yoked? What's the most important thing in our life? What is driving us as individuals, and are we on the same page with that primary issue? We'll look down the road of marriage and say, do I get a green light for that first question? Here's the next one. Have we been open and honest about the past? Uh, have we had the talk, the dreaded talk? Here's the talk, if you're wondering what that is. If you're going to marry someone, right, look to go down the road and say, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you, we want to go into that marriage with a clean slate having kind of cleared out anything that the other person should know or might want to know, we want to lay that all on the table and say, you kind of need to know where I've been and what I've done and what I'm bringing into this marriage from kind of any dimension. We've been talking about uh, the Song of Songs over the, the course of this series. Great book. I would encourage you to read it if you haven't. Young man, young woman who are falling in love. They're crazy about each other and we're kind of watching their relationship evolve Here's what this says. It says that my dove, he's talking to his girl here. It says, my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Poetic language, basically he's saying the, the woman that he is pursuing is beginning to hide herself in the relationship. Because what happens we begin to know each other. We begin to connect to each other. We're attracted to each other. Everything is perfect. We're kind of blind to each other's weaknesses a little bit. And then reality starts to hit, and we start to see each other's kind of darker side. And the, the temptation is to hide that from each other, right? To pull away into, into kind of the clefts of the rock is what he's going to say. He's saying instead of doing that, instead of turning away from each other, what I want you to do is, is kind of show me who you are. Put your cards on the table and have the talk. So what does the talk entail? The talk, in my opinion, needs to show up something like this. It needs to cover any past relationships that we've been in. You don't need to go into gory detail, but it needs to have the big picture. Right? If there's financial decisions that you're bringing into that relationship, if there's debt, right, or kind of a, a train wreck that you haven't had an opportunity to, to share with that person. They need to know about that. Right? If, there's a, if there's abuse that's happened in your past, right? or medical, you name it, anything that you would want to know, you would feel betrayed by if it wasn't shared with you, you should share that with your potential spouse, kind of get it out on the table. I remember uh, when Lori and I had the talk. You know, in, in uh, my background, I was a, a newer follower of Jesus. Lori had followed Christ pretty much her whole life, saved herself, just an exemplary woman. And here's me, uh, this guy who's a newer follower of Jesus, and I had been sexually active before and um, had brought this baggage into our relationship. Right? And we had the talk, I'll never forget it. We were sitting in my car, parked outside my apartment, 
And I did a lot of talking, and she did a lot of crying. And that's how the talk went. It was, was kind of horrible, you know. But it had to happen. I had to get it all out on the table and share with her where I'd been and what I'd done so that she knew what she was getting if she said yes. This is huge. If you're in a place in life right now, maybe where you're, you're kind of living free and you feel like you're hooking up and having fun and, and I'm never going to kind of pay a price for this, there are all kinds of prices that we pay for those decisions. All kinds. If you're sleeping around and right, doing that whole thing, you have a price to pay between you and God. He'll, he'll forgive your sins. Right? Jesus is willing to do that. And you have a price to pay with your spouse, your future spouse, the person you're going to find who you want to spend the rest of your life with. That person is going to come along. And if they're a person of character and they're worthy of your life or your name, then you're going to love them like crazy. And the price tag for our decisions, for my decisions, are the tears of the person that you're committing to. Oh, if I could go back and undo what I did and take those tears away, I would. Can God forgive? Absolutely. And does he? Yes. But that price is real. The message of, of go, go sleep, sow your wild oats, sleep, it's reckless and it's painful and it's dangerous and we won't spend time getting into all of the reasons why God would want us to be protected from the pain of that. That's one of them, right? And I want to cover that. I want to share that, unfortunately, with my spouse, my 2B spouse, so they know what they're getting themselves into. I want to have the talk and go in with a clear deck. And here's what I've found. In general, people are willing to forgive the past, they're willing to forgive, almost always. If you look back and you're honest and you own it and you're broken and you bring it to the table yourself, in general, that will be met with mercy and with grace. If you try to hide it or bury it and that comes out later, ooh, that feels like betrayal and deception and that trust is much harder to rebuild. So I'd rather go through the pain on the front end to know we're going in with a strong foundation built on truth. I want to have the talk. Is it fun? No. But is it critical? Absolutely. We're going to go in on a foundation of truth. Are we equally yoked? Have we had the talk? Here's the next one. Are we aggressive about working on and protecting our relationship? Are we aggressive about working on and protecting our relationship? Fascinating verse comes out in uh, Song of Songs. The writer says, the man's talking to the woman, he says, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. So here's what he's saying. He's saying our love, our relationship is in bloom. It is blossoming, right? But there are these foxes, these little enemies that are tearing away and attacking our vineyard, and we got to catch them, right? Go get those little foxes. This is like ancient whack-a-mole, right? It's kind of what's happening. He's just saying, you need to like go get those foxes and protect our relationship and fight for it. It's the idea. What are the little foxes we're talking about? Of course, one of the biggest foxes that would come to mind is sexual impurity, as you're moving towards marriage, you're attracted to each other, you're loving each other, you're 
looking at each other and fighting for each other's attention and time. And it's very natural to want to be together physically. That's why you're moving towards marriage or at least why you want to. Now, here's what happens, especially for you that are trying to set a boundary line, kind of regardless of your faith. If you have a boundary line of purity, you're trying to actually hold to. What happens is if you have that line and then in a clear moment, you've decided that and then in the heat of the moment, you break that line. And then you come back and try to set it again and you break it again. And you set it and you break it again. What happens over time is you together begin to lose trust for one another. Right? Because we knew we wanted to protect that. We said we wanted to do that. But when the heat of the moment came, when it was a decision between what we want and what God wants, we chose what we want. And the trust in the relationship begins to erode. Men, this hits you actually the hardest. Here's why. You are called to be the spiritual leader of that potential new home that you're about to build if you're going to get married. And so your lady is wondering, asking the question in her mind, can I trust this man to lead me to a place of godliness? When it comes down to it and the pressure's on in the heat of the moment, when that temptation hits between what he wants and what God wants, what's he going to pick? Because the temptation will change, but the character will remain in the new situation. And so we want to fight for that. We want to get the little foxes, strangle those suckers, get them out of here, right? Fight for it. It might be purity. It might be communication. It might be past baggage. It might be how our families have done things in the past. And I want to look and I want to be aggressive about fighting for and protecting the relationship that we have. Because here's the thing. Nobody gets married planning to get divorced. No one does that. No sane individual does that. But we know that most people right? About half won't make it all the way, right? And we feel great about, about a little bit into this relationship. We've been dating, we've been engaged, and, and we're, we're excited about our relationship. Everybody who's getting married, looking at that road, is feeling good about their relationship. The reality is, though, you're about 500 feet up a mile-long mountain, right? If you've made it this far, congratulations. That's awesome. You're on the right track. I celebrate that. And we want to be sane and realistic to say, that does not guarantee that I'm going to make it up to the top. I want to be honest and say, there's pitfalls up there. There's things I can watch for. I want to be vigilant about looking for the foxes and trying to find what do I need to work on and what could be a potential problem. And I want to go after it and be aggressive with it. If I'm approaching marriage from that perspective, that it's something that needs to be protected and fought for and trained in and learned in a teachable spirit, and I want to be eager to grow, you are in the right ballpark to say, yes, I'm headed down the right road because I'm thinking about marriage in a sane way. I'm not thinking of it as a fairy tale and everything's going to be perfect once we get married and we don't have any problems. That stuff is crazy, right? This is marriage. Two imperfect people uniting together for life. Think how that works, right? So we want to be honest and say there's going to be foxes. That's not a problem. We want to be honest about it and look for them, not if they come, but when they come. If I'm married, I want to continue to fight for those foxes, right? Our love has bloomed, and still there are enemies that are attacking. What's in our marriage right now that we might look at and say, that's a problem. That has become a distraction. I'm no longer willing to sacrifice this priority for my marriage anymore. 
We're to be vigilant in, in fighting for the priority of keeping our marriage healthy and kind of in blossom. We're equally yoked. Have we had the talk? Are we catching the little foxes? Here's the last one. Are you ready to become an independent family? You ready to become an independent family? Are you ready and willing to leave and cleave? Here's another kind of old school Bible phrase. It's a fascinating one. We all know this intellectually. We all know that if I'm going to move out of my family and begin a new family, which by the way, here's what a new family is. You're not starting a family when you have a child. You're starting a family when you get married. It's an important distinction, right? So we want to talk about it like that. When I look at you and I say, we are going to get married, we are creating a new family unit. It is not your family's way or my family's way. It is now our family's way. We are creating a new normal, a new culture, a new thing, which is very, very exciting and a really big deal. Why? Because we have to leave and cleave. This is where it comes from in the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, Moses looking back at creation, he says, that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, or cleaved to his wife, and they become one flesh. Moses is looking back and saying, this is what marriage is all about. Two people that have come from a family, from a network, from a group of friends, and now what they're saying when they want to join a new family and create that is they're saying, my relationships with my friends and with my mom and dad and with my brothers and sisters is going to be permanently altered. I'm leaving. Physically, I'm leaving the house, but I'm also changing my relationship because now no one will get in between us. We are united. We have cleaved together, right? Mom's not getting in the middle of that marriage and interfering. Dad's not getting in the middle of that marriage and interfering. My bestie is not getting in the middle of that marriage, right? My BFF, my dude, right, is not getting in the middle of that marriage interfering. It's you and me. We are a new thing now, and we're independent. And that shows up in all kinds of ways. It shows up financially. So no longer, when I say I want to get married, no longer is mom and dad allowed to pay my cell phone bill or allowed to pay my insurance. I'm not allowed to live in their basement anymore, right? No, you are your own thing now. You have to provide for yourself now. And that's a massive decision. Moms and dads in the room who you have adult children that are getting married, hear me, this one's important. I know you're hearing it from this perspective because you love your kids and you want them to win. And man, you don't want them to have to live in that nasty apartment that you lived in when you were first getting married and watching them struggle. So what do you want to do? You want to help them, right? You want to help them financially, You want to pay some bills every once in a while. You want to jump in and make sure they don't really skin their knee too bad. Hear me in love. Stop doing that, please. Why? You want to give them the dignity of becoming their own family. Let them struggle. Let them figure it out. Let them work the extra job and deliver some pizzas or do whatever has to be done. Do not over-involve yourself or certainly don't provide financially for them. Hear me. If you want to give them a gift, you want to take them to dinner and love on them, you even want to send them on vacation, go for it, right? You want to bless them, bless them. Well, Lori and I have enjoyed that from from her parents and from my... it's, It's great. 
but do not be their provider. Don't pay their mortgage. Don't pay their electric bill. Look at them and say, you wanted to be a family, you need to be one now. And the same is true relationally. When they come back to you, if you have adult children, and they, they want mom or dad to solve the problem, or they're trying to draw sides, or he's not doing it, you push them back to one another. Why? They need to leave and they need to cleave. So right, if you're engaged, you're dating, you're asking these questions, you gotta be ready to not run back to mom and dad and get their answers. You need to be ready to look at your husband or your wife and solve your problems together. Does that mean you don't get advice? No, totally. But you have to be in unison, united, cleaved as a family. My friend can't get in there. My mom can't get in there. My dad can't get in there. We are united and we are one new unit, new entity. And we will only operate if we're on the same page together. Huge. Some of us might be married and saying, we never quite like heard this before we got married. Wish we would have. You might be in a place where mom and dad or somebody else is still kind of in the thick of your marriage. And it's not a default or a no-brainer that you're united to each other first. You might have to go back and understand leaving and cleaving at a deeper level and say, no, we, we have to reevaluate and push reset on how we make decisions. And it needs to be you and me first. If we're not united, we don't pursue advice. We don't pursue a, a kind of relational input because we have to be one. Huge decision, huge commitment. And part of why this is so important is this. Leaving and cleaving is critical because it's a huge part of what makes marriage actually work. See, marriage is hard. It's so worth it. It's so fantastic if you can fight for it and do it God's way. But the way to make it work is you burn all the bridges and close all the doors to a way out. The commitment to say there's no other way except through it is part of what makes marriage pop. You, you get this panic feeling for a minute, like, oh snap, what have we done? We have to figure this out now. And then you find your way together through it and that forges you together as a couple. When I leave a door open to mom, or I can go back to my best friend's house, or I can always call that old boyfriend, or if you're getting married again and there's a kid in the middle of it and it can always be me and my child, uh-uh. You are sabotaging that marriage. It will not work. You have not left and you're not cleaving and you're not set up to win. Hear me, I just want you to win. It's the heart of the conversation. Okay. What do we do with this? What do we do with this? We're equally yoked. If we had the talk, catching the little foxes, are we willing to become our own family? If you are headed down the road of marriage, ideally, right, most of us, many of us, I want you to hear all green lights. Right? If, you're, if you're looking at these questions and you're looking down the road, if you've got all greens, be encouraged. You're probably on your way. Does it mean there's nothing else to work on? Absolutely not. I'm sure there is. But you're in the right direction. I, I'm sure there's a bunch of us that are hearing this, looking down the road of marriage, and there's a red light or two 
that are popping up. And you're like, Ryan, what do I do? Right? I, got, I got a couple red lights. If you're getting red lights, you got to push pause. Pump the brakes. Stop and get help. Talk to a spiritual leader. We will walk it through with you. We'll help you figure it out. Maybe you just need some more information. Maybe you just need a couple conversations. Maybe you should go to that marriage and engagement event and get some more training. But talk to someone. And Listen, do not get married until you have all green lights. Make that a commitment. You allowed to have a trouble spot? Sure. But, but don't move forward until you can clear it out and have a lane. Some of us, we're looking down the road and you're like, uh, I got all red. I got all red lights. Like, what do I do? If you have all red lights, what you need to do is you need to get out of the relationship. You're like, really? I'm in pretty deep, man. Yep. Uh, the invitations are in the mail. Like Aunt Matilda's coming from California. Like we rented the hall. This thing is moving. Say goodbye to the money. Disappoint Aunt Matilda. Because here's the reality. Breaking an engagement is much less painful and difficult and complicated than wrecking a family. Will this be hard? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Will it be disappointing? Sure. Will you all get over it? Yep. But you just go down the road and you leave and cleave to someone and you create a new family and you might even bring children into it and that thing explodes later we all know the wreckage of how that looks. Do not say yes. Don't say I swear until you've got all green lights. And if you don't have a relationship that you can win with, it's all reds, you probably got to jump off the train. And I know there's this feeling of I'm in too deep. How do I get out? Some of us might be hearing this conversation from that lens. You're thinking, I... It's got so much momentum to it. And if I was really honest, and you asked me, why am I getting married? I would tell you, I actually, I just don't know how to make it stop. Listen, it's worth it. Have a conversation with a pastor. Let somebody help you through it. But make a decision today that you are going to move forward in pulling back the reins and making that relationship change. Now, if you're married, what I would encourage is you kind of look back at these questions. Some of us are hearing these, and you're literally saying, Ryan, we had no idea. I never heard this stuff. And you wish you could go back and kind of ask these questions on the way into marriage. Now, I know you can't do that, and you know you can't do that, right? The past is past. Here's what you can do. You can start today to build the right foundation for your marriage. Today can be the day that you go back and you start to do it the right way. I had a couple stop me uh, last night after service and they said, 
Ryan, we've been married 25 years. And uh, we are like the classic example of people that are answering these questions for the first time. They, they said, we're posters of God's grace. I said, yes, you are. That's exactly right. Because wherever you are, you can start to work on this now. You can start catching the little foxes, working on the marriage, clarifying where you stand with your faith, right? If mom and dad are still, or people are part of your marriage, you, you can kind of leave and cleave again at a deeper level. Here's maybe the hardest one. If you have something in your past, in your marriage, a secret, a skeleton in the closet, so to say, and you did something and nobody knows, or maybe your friend knows, but your spouse doesn't know, and it's locked up tight and and you think, if I'm really honest, I should probably get that out into the light. Listen, that thing is not going to go away. You know what you have to do. You have to open that box and get it into the light and deal with it because it's in the light that God can work. I had a friend walk this road a handful of years ago. He came to me and said, Ryan, I did something way back in the early years of my marriage and never told my wife about it. He says, I am scared to death. Oh, what if she leaves me? He said, I know God's calling me to tell her. I know I gotta get, gotta get this out and get healing and get light on it. But I'm afraid. We talked it through and we prayed it through and he went and he did it. He told her. Boy, he put his marriage on, on red, right? Gave it all the gas he had. His wife heard it. She was heartbroken. It's everything you would imagine. She's disappointed, but she forgave and she healed. And today their marriage is stronger and deeper than it ever could have been before. And in hindsight, she would look back and say, I always kind of knew something was wrong. There was, there's something he was withholding from me. Because that's the reality is real relationship, deep relationship where we know the worst things about each other, but we can receive and give God's love in the context of marriage. That's what it's designed to be, and it will never be that if we keep managing and hiding and burying sin. And I'm not talking about a temptation you had last week. I'm talking about real actions that have happened in your life. If you need to get that on the table, whether you're moving into a relationship or you're in a marriage and it's happened, and you've just never talked about it. Do you need to time it and prep and probably talk to a spiritual leader first to make sure you're doing it right? Sure. But make the decision today that we're going to put light on that thing. Out of the darkness, into the light. When I think about this conversation across the board, whether we're engaged or we're married or we're single and we're, we're not sure if we're ever going to find somebody, the thread that runs through all of it and the, the landing place I think we need to all kind of find in this is a place of surrender. Of looking at God and saying, God, I tried it. I tried my way. 
I'm now trading in my way for your way. I give up. At the end of me, I want you to begin. So I offer up to you my singleness or my purity, my impurity. I offer up doing marriage your way or doing the relationship your way, whatever it is. Because here's the reality. In the other side of surrender, there's grace. There's forgiveness. There's hope. But it has to start with me saying, God, I'm done. This is what I had to do 18 years ago. God, I'm done. I'm done sleeping around. This is foolish. This is harmful. I want to do marriage your way. I want to do life your way. I surrender to your plan and your will for my life. I give you control. Regardless of where you are, I invite you to engage God on that today. Some of the band come out and I'd ask you, if you can, if you can just stay in the room and not bounce around, but give God some space to work in your heart, in your mind, to give you the courage to release this part of life and ask him to work in you. Okay, pray for us. We'll sing and worship together. God, we pause here recognizing who you are. God, you're the inventor of marriage, of love, of attraction. We didn't create it. Sex wasn't our idea, it was your idea. And so God, we come to you confessing that you know how it works best. It is powerful and it is dangerous and it is beautiful. And God, we ask for your forgiveness for mishandling it. Trying to do it our own way. God, thank you for the great forgiveness you've poured into my life. And God, we ask for courage to move toward you today. Giving you every aspect of our lives, whether single or married or dating or engaged. You'd help us to trust you, whatever that means. Help us to understand the step of faith, the leap of faith that maybe you're asking us to make today. God, we surrender. Meet us here even now.